Originals by Adam Grant. One sentence summary. Originals redefines what being creative means by using many specific examples of how persistence, procrastination, transparency, critical thinking and perspective can be brought together to change the world. My favorite quote from the author is, being original doesn't require being first. It just means being different and better. Adam Grant. This book hit the shelves less than half a year ago and became an instant bestseller. I hadn't heard of Adam Grant before, but this book sounded like it was in the same vein as Lynchpin, which I just finished today, and lo and behold, Seth himself has praised the book, so I had to check it out. What you'll get is a book that feels like sitting down with a really smart friend, who tells you countless stories of how creative people tackled seemingly impossible problems and solved them. From Picasso to Beethoven, and from bloggers to movie makers, no industry or field is left aside. Further proof that creativity matters everywhere. Now, without further ado, here are three lessons from Originals to help you be more creative. 1. Producing great ideas is a matter of quantity. 2. Procrastinate on purpose to trigger the Zygarnik effect. 3. Repeat yourself and find common reference points to make your crazy ideas more familiar. Wanna be original? Let's look at creativity through a new pair of glasses. Originals Lesson 1. Quantity leads to quality when it comes to producing great ideas. This answers the question, how can you come up with great ideas consistently? When I look back and I see a stack of 17 books and I see 4,800 blog posts and speeches I've given, none of which were good enough, but all of which I shipped, it becomes pretty clear to me that I'm better off shipping than I am making it perfect. Seth Godin This quote comes straight from a podcast episode by Jeff Goins I listened to this week and perfectly sums up the first lesson. Being an original means fantasizing about a better future, having a vision and changing the status quo. But more importantly, it means taking actual steps towards making it happen. Most successful creatives don't have better ideas, they just ship more of them. How many Picasso paintings can you name? I couldn't even come up with one. After checking, I recognized Blue Nude and the three musicians. If you're good, you can name three or four. In order for you to be able to name that many today, Picasso had to paint 1,800 of them. And that's just paintings. You can add 2,800 ceramics, 1,200 sculptures, and 12,000, yes, 12,000 drawings to that. And you'll finally know why the man is world famous. Even the best artists have no clue which of their pieces will be huge successes and which will be flops. If anything, there's a high chance that the opposite of what you, the creator, expect happens. Beethoven disagreed with his critics in 33% of all cases. It's not your job to judge your work, it's your job to ship it and let the world decide. The more you ship, the higher your chances of having an impact. Originals Lesson 2 Use procrastination strategically and it'll help you fill in the blanks. This answers the question, is it really that bad if I have writer's block for a while as a creative? Shipping a lot is important, but that doesn't mean you should publish half-assed creations and almost done pieces of art before they're ready. So when you're stuck and can't seem to move forward, how about some strategic procrastination? Get this, Martin Luther King Jr., didn't even start writing his famous I have a dream speech for the March on Washington until the night before he gave it. Even more surprisingly, the line I have a dream wasn't even in it. 
It was only when someone from the audience told him to, to, to tell them about the dream that he decided to forget his script and wing it. And that's when he came up with it. Waiting until the last minute to finish things and leaving them untouched for a while can be valid strategies because they've got something going for them. The Zygarnik effect. Once you start a task, your brain will keep it around in your subconscious until it's finished, even long after you've already given up on it. This is what's responsible for sudden strokes of genius and brilliant shower ideas. It can go on for some time too. Da Vinci started painting the Mona Lisa in 1503, but then abandoned the project, finishing it 16 years later in 1519. Who is a master procrastinator now? Originals Lesson 3 you can make your crazy ideas less threatening with the mere exposure effect and by repeating yourself. This answers the question, if I have crazy ideas that people will probably call stupid, how can I make them more approachable? Sometimes though you have to step off the crazy creative train for a while and convince others that your ideas are solid. Especially when you need funding or someone to give you green light for a project. In those cases, it helps to use two techniques to help others slowly get used to your earth-shaking vision. 1. The mere exposure effect. 2. Common points of reference. The mere exposure effect is simple. We get used to the things we're exposed to again and again. Our reception and perspective on things changes over time. Just like you'll get used to seeing yourself on video or in photographs after a while, others will get used to you talking about how average is for losers or other novel and unfamiliar topics. So if you want something to stick, repeat yourself. Common points of reference is a strategy in which you tie your new and unusual idea to a somewhat similar but well-established concept. For example, when Michael Eisner and Maureen Donnelly originally presented their idea for The Lion King, producers thought the story was too dark for a Disney movie. In a second attempt, they mentioned how its storyline was similar to Shakespeare's King Lear and Hamlet thus winning over the team because it could now see the validity of the script among fans. The movie went on to become the highest grossing film of 1994 and the first movie yours truly saw in the movie theater. Here's what I learned from Originals by Adam Grant. What I would like to add to this summary is a little more about the Zygarnik effect and how I'm using strategic procrastination personally. What I would also like to do is to help you get some distance between yourself and your creative work so that you don't get dragged down by the feedback to it. And I want to talk a little bit about quantity versus quality uh, and how I approach that, especially with four-minute books. So let's start from, from the back. So, Zygarnik effect. Now, um, you may have noticed this. I mean, you surely have noticed this. Like sometimes you can't think your way out of a problem and you just leave it alone or you give up, quote unquote, for the, for the night. You say, oh, I'm going to do this tomorrow. And you leave and all of a sudden you wake up tomorrow, next morning, and you sit down and you start. And after five minutes, you have a solution, right? That just happens. Now, for me... What I do uh, strategically, well, strategically or not, right? It's just I'm taking breaks and it just happens. And then uh, I realize I have good ideas. So there are three places or three situations recently where I have a lot of my best ideas. The first one is when I'm in the shower in the morning. Uh, I mean, a shower is a typical place of innovation. I don't know why. 
maybe it's because of the sound of the water. It's probably environment, right? It's, we feel refreshed and warm and comfy. Uh, there's the water, the sound of the water, like some kind of white noise that stimulates us. We've just woken up um, often. And so there's probably lots of points coming together, but the shower is a great place. So I have lots of good ideas there. Sometimes I often jump out of the shower and I write down three or four things right after I get dressed. The second place is um, at the other end of the day before I go to bed, right? Often when I lay down in bed, I realize I, I come up with, before I fall asleep, I come up with five, six, seven ideas for writing. I usually come up with whole paragraphs, right? Sometimes I don't remember them when I wake up. Sometimes I get so excited that I have to get up again and write them down. Um, but often when you lay down and your day is done, your brain can finally process everything that happened that day in your subconscious. And then it keeps sending up stuff to the, back to the surface. Um, so that's what's going on there. So that's another common place. And the third one is going on walks. Uh, walks are great for thinking. They're great for refreshing. They're great for exercise. They're not too demanding. Um, they're great for getting out of your own head. Uh, you can listen to music. You can, I mean, I have a daily walk. It's like an hour walk I take every day. Um, if I'm not walking that much throughout the day anyways, that is. And I, I've seen so many benefits, so many great ideas. Most of my recent writing ideas for articles have come from walking. Um, sometimes I, if I have a title or an idea I want to write about, I think more about that. I flash those ideas out. I have some insights. Um, I listen to friends' voice messages or read their messages that they've sent me. And then sometimes an idea pops up from that. So that's a great, great way for strategic procrastination. So the next time you have writer's block or whatever's block, just uh, get up, get out of the house, take a long walk and watch what happens. It's going to be amazing. So... That on procrastination. The other uh, little tidbit I want to share. So, um, ideas. Picasso, overall, you saw the numbers, you, you, he you heard the numbers, but overall, he produced 50,000 pieces of art. That's, I think, on average, one every day. If in his life, for his entire life, I don't know, Picasso lived to be, I think, 80 or something. And for every single day of his life, he had a piece of art. Like, how insane is that? Because you have to backtrack to the time when he wasn't doing art and so on. That's crazy, right? That's crazy amounts of art. Now, the one thing you can't do or that's very counterproductive to producing quantity is when you let the art define you. What do I mean by that? I mean by that that you seek out the feedback and you... you, you Make the feedback you get to your art part of your identity. You cannot do that. Like that's one of the biggest destroyers of artists, I think. Because imagine 50,000 pieces. The world remembers five or ten. And that means all of, a lot of pieces, people told them, like, uh, Pablo, that's shit, right? And that, that happens with all of us. We'll get told our, our art sucks a lot of the time. Way more than we're told, oh, you're doing so great. So... Don't let this art define you, right? So really, it's you want to do the wonderful thing and create awesome art, but you cannot uh, you cannot see in advance what it is. Often I think this is going to do great and it tanks and I think uh, this might not do so well and it goes through the roof, right? So I have no idea what the world's going to like and I let the world decide on that, but I don't identify with it, right? It's not me. A great quote is from Dr. Wayne Dyer. 
who died in 2015. I think he was a self-help guy. And there's a great quote. I am a human being, not a human doing. Don't equate your self-worth with how well you do things in life. You aren't what you do. If you are what you do, then when you don't, you aren't. Dr. Wayne Dyer. I think that's a great quote because it highlights that when you're not doing something, this indicates you, you are nobody, right? So that explains the whole hustle culture. And it also says that if you define yourself only by your work and through your work, that's a pretty a recipe for disaster. So try not to do that. Remember, always remember you are not your work. You ship the work, you produce the work, but you're merely channeling some kind of energy in the world through your art. And that's what you do. And whatever feedback you get, you get. And that's that. Last tidbit, uh, quantity versus quality. I definitely focused on quantity with four-minute books in the beginning. I mean, as you sh- as you surely are aware of, I wrote one summary a day for the first year. In the second year, I went down to one summary a week. So first year, 365 summaries. Second year, 52 summaries. Now, here's the funny part. First year, um, I think by the end of the year, right? At the very end of the year, after writing 365 posts, I was getting about 10,000 visitors every month to the site, okay? Um, now, by the end, as we're nine months, 10 months into the into the second year, I'm already getting almost 60,000 people a month to the site. In spite of reducing my publishing, uh, the number of, of posts I published by... Six out of seven, that's like 80%. A little more even. It's like 85% or so. So I, I produce almost, I produce a fraction of the content, yet I get more traffic. I still reap the rewards of the initial quantity I have. And that's because it takes quantity to get to quality, right? The quality of each summary I I wrote in the second year was way higher than any of the summaries from the first year. And when I go back and read these now, I notice lots of mistakes. I often edit the posts in in retrospect. I'm like, oh my God, there's like typos in there, everything, right? But I I got it out and it worked, right? It it was enough to get started. And now I'm much more focused on quality. And eventually I'm going to redo everything I've done, right? And try to improve them and so on. But especially in the beginning, quantity is all crucial and some summaries were huge hits some tanked and others were like just performed normally right and they do to this day so that's just some initial some thoughts on initial quantity versus quality originals by adam grant he has a ted talk too i think about that topic really cool guy lots of great examples if you're a creative or want to do creative work check it out i hope you enjoyed and i will see you on one of the next summaries